0: Well, before we hear the preaching of God's word, please turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. And I'm going to read the entire chapter and read into uh, chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, with which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's hear the preaching of God's word.
1: Will I miss greeting you and so i'm going to greet you and since this is the day on which our savior rose again for our salvation i'm going to greet you with the greeting christ is risen and you he risen amen and isn't that our hope isn't that our joy that this same risen Jesus reigns for us and is living for us and interceding for us and is coming for us and is going to bring this whole world to an end and usher in the eternal age with Jesus as King and His people in a new heaven, new earth, the home of righteousness. Well, we're studying four graces in the Christian life and uh, we're going to start out then today with our memory work, but it's uh, this time without the overhead, okay? Uh, so put your thinking caps on, and this is the way we're going to do it. The north side's going to give us the grace, and the south side will give us the activity, the main activity of that grace. So... When you give us the grace, pause and let them tell us what that grace does. Okay, and then we'll go on to number two. So number one, the first grace, the great emptier, the,
0: the great receiver, love, the great giver, hope, the great motivator.
1: How'd we do, Ben? OK, that wasn't up there, was it? <laughs> all right, then you are doing well. You're doing real well. And, and uh, you can see we're highlighting uh, faith. We're we're moving on from humility. We saw why why humility is on this list of of our top four, we might call them, uh, because it's the soil in which all the other graces grow. There is no faith that's not humble faith, no love that's not humble love, and so on. So we saw why humility is on our top list. There's a reason why faith is on our top list as well. And the short answer is because God puts it there in the Scriptures. Uh, We see it repeatedly in the familiar triad of graces, faith, hope, and love. Uh, No less than seven of Paul's New Testament letters... To Christians and to churches, begin with him giving thanks to God for the faith that he sees in his people. Let me give one text as an example Colossians 1, 3, and 4. We always thank, this is after he just greets them and says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So, clearly, in Paul's estimation, faith uh, was one of the most important graces of the Christian life. And the fact that he thanks God for it demonstrates that faith is a grace of God. It is a gift of God, and the only reason we have it is because He works it in us by His Spirit. And that's why Paul thanks God for these people's faith. And I wonder if we shouldn't be more amazed and be more full of joy and be more full of thanksgiving when we see faith in the people of God, in each other. Thank you, God, that she's trusting in you in that situation. Thank you that that his faith is growing more and more, as Paul says to the Thessalonians, he can thank God. Indeed, uh, should we not even be amazed to find this grace of faith in ourselves? The hymn writer says, I know not how this saving grace to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. But he has. And I have this faith. What a wonderful thing it is. Peter 2, it's not just the Apostle Paul. Peter too values faith as precious. He begins his second letter telling us that through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, we have received a faith that is as precious as his, as Peter's. So faith is precious. It's of incalculable worth. And he tells us that we have received a faith. Well, I thought faith is the great receiver. And now you're telling us that Peter says, we have received this faith. Yes, and yes. We, we receive faith as a gift. And then by faith, we go on receiving more and more from Jesus Christ all the way home. So faith, precious indeed. And Peter's got nothing on us. Our faith is as precious as his. He says, I've seen him and I've seen his glory. And though you've not seen him yet, you believe. You have faith and you love him. So the value and importance of faith can hardly be overstated. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Wow, isn't that precious? Faith, to have faith by which we are saved, through which we're saved. This unearned salvation becomes ours through faith. But without faith, you're lost. You're condemned. You're still under God's wrath. And you must pay for your sin forever and ever. But God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, whoever puts faith in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believing is receiving. For as many as received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So faith is important because of what it does. It receives Christ And eternal life in Him. But the receiving doesn't end there. It goes on all the way to our last day here. And then we really graduate into receiving. It really gets good as we go to live in the house of the Lord forever. So receivers is what we are. And faith is what does the receiving. Now... This morning, I want us to appreciate just how valuable faith is in our day-to-day lives. And we'll be seeing the value of faith by the things that it does, its activities. Um, And in all these activities, it is receiving. That's the common denominator. But we're going to look at different things. Two this morning, two things that faith does for us, and more, Lord willing, next time. Number one of the two, faith unites us to Christ. Faith unites us to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we receive infinite riches in Jesus. Now, before faith, the Bible uh, tells us that we were without Christ, separate from Christ, far off, without hope and without God in the world. But the moment we place saving faith in Christ, we were no longer separated from Him. We were brought near. Indeed, we were joined to Jesus Christ. We are in Christ, is the language of Scripture. United to Him, and therefore always with Him. In John 15, Jesus says this union is like a branch in the vine. That's union. That's the union of the believer in Christ. We were like sticks lying on the ground, lifeless and good for nothing, but to be gathered up and thrown into the fire. Oh, but but when by faith we lay hold of Christ and receive him, we are engrafted into him. We are put into him, joined, united to Christ so that just as the branch receives the life giving sap of the vine, we receive Life giving grace from Jesus Christ. That's union with Christ. We're united to Him. Now, the Apostle Paul's favorite phrase referring to this union with Christ is just the two words, in Christ. And he uses those two words over 150 times in his letters. And, and then add to that all the times that he, he says, in Him. Referring to Christ, we can see at once the great importance of this union that we have with Christ and the great importance of our understanding it and living upon it. It's not a minor doctrine tucked away in the footnotes of our Bible. It's front and center as the Apostle Paul is teaching the gospel and its ramifications for us. To be in Christ. Let me just give you two verses. Uh, The first is very familiar. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be what? In Christ. He's what? He's, He's new creation. The old, it's gone. And everything has become new. Now this verse tells us just how revolutionary and transformational union with Christ is. When you're joined to Him, the old's gone. The old me is gone. My old life is gone. It's, it's, it's dead and buried and, and, and it's new life and it's a new me. When I'm in Christ, behold, all things have become new. Nothing remains the same in Christ. Union with him changes everything. It changes why I get up in the morning, why I go to work. It changes why I live, how I drive, how I recreate, why I recreate How I do family, how I do church, how I do politics, how I do neighbor, how I view things. It changes my priorities. The old is gone. The new has come in Christ. What I do with my time, my money, my lips, my eyes, my ears, my hands, my feet, my mind. All things become new in Christ. Union with him leaves nothing the same. Not even death. My destiny changes. Well, that's what it means to be in Christ. How transformational. The other verse is Romans 8 and verse 1. Isn't Romans 8 a wonderful chapter in our Bibles? Um, I challenge you to memorize it, meditate on it, pray it, think about it. But it starts off with a Bang. Having proven that outside of Christ, we're we're condemned to hell. And Romans 8 verse 1 starts, But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's where it starts and it just gets better all the way to the end. No condemnation. So outside of Christ, we're under God's wrath and condemnation. You know what the law of God has to say to us? Outside of Christ, it says, damn you. You are condemned. You get one thing because you've broken me. You're a lawbreaker. You get condemnation. That's all it says to us. And that's the way we, we were before we were in Christ. We were outside of Christ and damned for our sins. But now, now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What what an important thing it is to be in Christ. It changes our standing before our judge. It changes our eternal destiny. And all because I am in Christ, you see, for what He has becomes ours. It's much like the union of a husband and wife in the covenant of marriage. We're given another example of this union, not only a branch in the vine, but uh, Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says that the marriage union of a husband and wife becoming one is a reflection of the, the greater and more staggering union between Christ and His bride, the church. That's the most important union of which our marriage unions are just a dim reflection. It's not the other way around. It's not that we have these, these wonderful, great uh, marital unions and, and God says, well, I think I'll use that as an illustration of what is between me and the church. No, it's, it's the other way around. The amazing union is that Christ is united to his bride, the church. So let that teach us this morning. Wives, when you stood at the marriage altar, what happened? Maybe some of you are still asking that. What happened? <laughs> well, uh, this is what happened. You gave yourself lock, stock and barrel to that man to be his wife. And you took him lock, stock and barrel to be your husband. And He did the same thing in this covenant. There's there's promises, vows that were made. And He gave Himself and all that He had and, and is to you as your husband. And He took you, just as you are and all that you have, to be His wife. And the two of you became one. Union. Joined together. And from that moment on... The result was that whatever was his became yours and whatever was yours became his. So what did you bring to the union? What did he bring to the union? You share it all. You share it all together. Now, that's a picture of of our covenantal union with Christ. That's a picture of what it means to be in Christ. and, And we get into that union with Christ by faith faith unites us to christ and that means that i married up and he married down and that means you married up and he married down when i was joined to jesus by faith he got my sin and i got his righteousness i came out ahead on that exchange i needed perfect righteousness a record of of no sins at all, in order to get into that holy place where God dwells i didn 't have it. All I had was filthy rags, righteousness, that stink in the in the nostrils of God. Oh, but Jesus had perfect righteousness. Because he became a man, and for 33 years he obeyed God's law perfectly. Even though he was tempted in every way like we are, he never disobeyed. So he has a righteousness to give me. And when I was married to him, he got my sin and he gave me his righteousness. Oh, if I could just have his his righteousness as mine. And Paul says in Romans 3, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law keeping, has been made known To which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So, when by faith in Christ I was joined to Christ, my record of of sin went to Him and His record of righteousness came and was credited to my account. But there was more He got my condemnation. That's what I brought to this marriage. Union, Damnation as punishment for my sin. And he took my condemnation and he gave me his reward of eternal life. That's what he brought to the marriage union. And I say, why should I gain from his reward? His perfect obedience won that reward of eternal life. Why should I gain from that? Well, that's just the nature of this sweet union with Jesus. He takes the condemnation that we deserved and God damned him on the cross as he bore our sins. And he, and he gave us the eternal life as the reward that Jesus had earned. But there's more. There's more. By union of, with Christ, not only is his righteousness and his reward of eternal life mine, but also his death, his burial, his resurrection, his newness of life, and many other things. And that's why we have statements in the Bible that that we were crucified with Christ. So Paul can say, I'm crucified with Christ. When were you crucified? I was crucified when Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago. Because what Christ did is counted as what I've done. We we share in that act. And so I've been crucified with Christ. We we died with Christ to sin. His death to sin was my death to sin, Romans six, with wonderful consequences. We were buried with him, Romans six four. We've been raised with Christ to newness of life. Romans 6.4, Colossians 3.1. We've been made alive with Christ. We've been seated with Him in the heavenlies. I'm not sure what all that means, but it, it's with Him that we've been seated. He's risen and, and we're united to Christ even now as, as He is there in heaven, ruling and reigning. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans 8.17. You know what a co-heir is? It means everything that He inherits we inherit. Equal shares. Co-heirs. Why? Because we've come to this marriage union and what's his is mine. And we will be glorified with him. That's yet to come. We've shared in his suffering. We will share in his glory. But there's more. There's much more. And so this husband and wife have been united in marriage and they're on their honeymoon off in Australia. And they go hiking one day in the wilderness and get off the trail and get lost and she's worried as night is coming on, and it's getting cold, and she's hungry, but he gathers some sticks and some leaves and makes a nice little lean to and and builds a fire and has some supper there, some wild mushrooms and wild berries he's gathered for her and she snuggles up close and her fears are relieved. And he humbly acknowledges that he was an Eagle Scout, trained for such situations, you see. And in the, the light of day, he's able to, to read the moss on the trees and, and, and find his way out, you see, and lead her out of their lost condition. The next day on their honeymoon, they rent a boat and go snorkeling. And wouldn't you know, while they're down, uh, the boat springs a leak and, and sinks. And there's just one life preserver there floating on top and it won't hold them both up. So he he gives it to her and he just starts treading water. And after three hours, she's impressed. Wow, I didn't know you knew how to do that. Oh, I I, I guess I forgot to tell you I I was a Navy SEAL. And and so a couple more hours, the guy they loaned the boat from uh, didn't see them come back. So he comes and he rescues them and they get back home safely. But the next day, the COVID counts in Australia have risen to where all flights home were canceled. And she fears that she's going to be isolated in this hotel room for months. But he makes a few calls and is able to rent a plane and flies her home. Oh, I didn't tell you. My dad had a plane and he taught me how to fly. And the next week they go house hunting and she finds one she really likes and it's just perfect. Just what she's always wanted. But the price is just way out of their league. And so she has no hopes of of buying it. But immediately the, the husband says to the realtor, we'll take it and I'll pay with cash. And she looks and on the way home she... She says, I didn't know your pockets were that deep. How are you going to pay for Well, didn't I tell you that, that dad's inheritance has come to me? and it's, it's ours to spend. And she says, I think I'm going to like being married to this guy. And so it went day by day, day by day. She's learning more about her husband and about uh, all that's his and that has now become hers. Just because she's one with him in marriage. So forgive my silly illustration, but I want you to know, brothers and sisters, it is no small thing to be joined to Jesus. It is no small thing to be united to Christ, the son of God. With all that is his. And to be able to live upon what is His. To see the fullness of grace that's in Him. And to draw from it, to live upon it, to receive it by faith. And the longer and closer you live with this Jesus, the better you get to know Him. Your Bridegroom Christ, the more you realize just how much more there is to receive from Him. The riches of His grace And the more you're emptied and find yourself poor and needy, the more you you go to Him and sure enough, you receive from Him all that you need. And so you learn from one step to the next to, to live upon Him, to run to Him, to lean on Him. And the more you receive, the more you find there is never one so happy to give as He is to you. There's no reluctance. He's the lover of your soul. And you are precious to him. He never wearies to have you coming to him, but but rather delights in your coming and delights to put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. He's just that good. And you're united to him. He even takes you into places and situations where you feel your emptiness that you might come to Him, poor and needy, because He wants you close to Him, not drifting from Him. He's looking for opportunities to give to you. He's making opportunities to teach you more of His heart. Jesus, I am resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Your loving heart. That's what he's doing. He's teaching us the greatness of his love. All that he has for us. Union with Christ means I don't have to live on the paltry resources I find in myself. Because if the truth is known, I'm often empty. It's dry, bottom bucket stuff. I can't live without him. But I'm not without Him is the message of union with Christ. I'm joined to Him. I'm in Him. And in Him I can live abundantly upon the the fullness of grace found in Him. He has strength enough to empower me. He has wisdom enough to guide me. He has mercy enough to forgive me, love enough to satisfy me, joy enough to uplift me, hope enough to motivate me. And so once I am united to Christ, I am never again to think of myself as anything but united to Christ. I'm never to think of myself as separate anymore. Just like you husbands and wives. And I start, seek, to, seek to teach this in premarital counseling. That, that once you give yourselves to each other, you, you should never again think of yourself without your husband, your wife. You're, you're now one. And so you, you haven't got the answer until you've talked to the other. And you, you, you haven't gotten anywhere until you've shared life together and and we must never allow the devil to to put a wall between us and jesus so that we're thinking only of ourselves no we we must always remember that we're one with him so is that always how you think of yourself is always joined to jesus do you think of that when you're sad Do you think of that when you're glad? Do you think of it when you're mad? When you're frustrated with this stupid virus that's been around for months and we thought we were done with it and now we're just moving back into this problem and you're weary of the long trials. Are you thinking of the one you're joined to? Thinking of what he has, his resources. Are you drawing near to him and living off of him when you're confused and not seeing any good options? Out of all the options, there's no good ones and you're confused and you don't know what to do when your resources are running thin. Blessed union with Christ. To know that I am his and he is mine forever and forever. Precious faith that unites me to this fruitful vine. Precious faith that unites me to this loving, rich and generous husband that unites me to such a glorious savior. And to see that the grace that I find in him is really for me as well. So then go and fetch it by faith and go and receive it by faith from Jesus. He's more than enough for me, we sang. And that's true because his supply is infinite. You know, Jesus is not the poor for having given, but we are the richer for having received. So keep going. Keep going. Well, that's the first thing that faith does. As we said, there's two things this morning we want to see. We must be very brief with the second. What else does faith do? It not only unites me to Christ, but secondly, it purifies the heart. Some troublemakers from Jerusalem had come up to Antioch, the church there, and had told this church that had many Gentiles that unless they were circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas were elders in that church and they disagreed strongly and they said, we're going down to Jerusalem and we're going to meet with the apostles and elders there and, and hammer this thing out and get it cleared up. And that's what they did. And after there was much uh, dialogue and debate, the Apostle Peter stood and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Remember when he went to Cornelius and his household, that Gentile? and. He heard the gospel and believed. He's telling them about that. And this is what he says about that visit to the Gentiles. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles, we would say. For he purified their hearts by faith. There's our second thing this morning that faith does. Precious faith that purifies the heart. We're born with polluted, dirty, impure hearts, sinful thoughts, sinful desires, a sinful will that moves us to sinful words and sinful actions and pollutes us through and through. To the pure, all things are pure, Titus 1:15 and 16. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both our minds and consciences are corrupted. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. so So, if your heart's bad, everything you touch is bad. It defiles everything you do. And that's what unfits us for the presence of this pure and holy God. revelation twenty one twenty seven says that nothing impure will ever enter into heaven. And so our great need is to have our hearts purified from sin. But how? No amount of, of our own effort to clean our hearts from sin will work. Jeremiah 2.22, Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. You see, it's no outward stain that we can rub off. It's, it's something inward. It's deeper, far deeper the very center of our being that touches all that we do. Our hearts are dirty and stained. With crimes of deepest dye, we sing. How then can we be saved? How then can we be cleansed? Well, here's the good news. Acts 15:9, Peter says it. He purified their hearts by faith. And this is again Bible shorthand because we know elsewhere that it says that the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. What can wash away my sin, we say? Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
0: Amen.
1: Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there's a flowing, a, a crimson tide, whiter than snow you may be today. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses, that purifies from all sin. So which is it? The blood of Jesus or faith that purifies the heart from sin? Well, it's both rightly understood. The blood of Jesus is the effective cause of our cleansing. And our own faith is the instrumental cause of our cleansing. God, by the merits of Jesus' blood, purifies our hearts by our faith. So both are involved. The blood of Jesus... And our own faith. Without the shedding of blood though. There's no forgiveness. No remission of sin. No cleansing from it. So the blood of Jesus refers to his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. Where in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. It's the only way to be pardoned and cleansed from sin. That dirties us before God. The blood of Jesus. God's son purifies us from all sin. But it's our faith that must look to Christ and His shed blood and what He did for us there as He died and shed His blood. Faith must receive that cleansing for ourselves. Personally, faith sees His death on Calvary, satisfying the justice of God, appeasing the wrath of God and ventures on that says, I, I'm going to trust in that for my salvation, what Jesus did there. And so it's the blood of Jesus that accomplished our cleansing at Calvary. And it's our faith in his cleansing blood that applies it to us. So that our hearts are indeed purified by faith. By the blood of Christ and received by faith. So that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Now that's the message that the Apostle John gave us in John chapter 1. Or 1 John chapter 1, the scripture reading for this morning. You might just turn there in our closing moments where... John tells us the message he received from Jesus. He spent three years with him and he heard him teach. And he says, this this is the message that I heard from him. And I'm now passing on to you. 1 John 1, 5. God is light. And in him is no darkness. No, none at all. Triple negative. Absolutely no impurity. No evil. No sin in God. He's all light. So, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, that's this God of of unsullied light. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You see, darkness cannot live with light. They're mutually exclusive. You walk into a a pitch black room and you flip the light switch on and what happens? Light Replaces darkness. The two can't dwell together. Darkness can be there without the light. Light can be there without darkness, but they can't dwell together. And that's why John is saying God is light. And if you're walking in darkness, I'll tell you one thing: you're not walking with God because He's light. So you're lying, and the truth's not in you. You see, it's it's, it's just very cut and dry, it not John? So, so true believers, uh, if we're going to walk it with God, the God of light, then we're going to have to walk in the light. And, and that's what true believers do. They, they abandon the old life. To any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old life, walking in darkness, walking in sin, that's what he, he, he eats and drinks is sin. That's old. The new life is to pursue the light, holiness, sanctification. Fellowship with God in light. And so we can walk with God and have fellowship with him who is light and fellowship with one another as we walk in the light. So sin and darkness is no longer our habitual lifestyle. We walk in newness of life in Christ, and yet we do not do so perfectly, do we? In fact, haven't you found that the closer you walk with this God of light, the more that his light exposes of the darkness within you? So what do we do about that? How, how then can we, if we still have this remaining darkness in it, it's not what it once was. It wasn't, it's no longer our element that we just uh, love to sit in like the, the sow. No, we want to get out of it like the kitten and we, 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 we jump out of the mud puddle. we clean ourselves and we come. But we still recognize we still sin. I've not had a day in Christ that I've not sinned. So, so what do I do with that when I'm walking with Jesus and, and I'm convicted of my sin? Well, I'll tell you what we don't do is we don't deny it. We don't deny it. And that's what John tells us in verses 8 and 10. We, we don't deny it. But We don't say, well... He did this, though, and, and so we blame others or, or we justify ourselves or we rationalize or excuse ourselves. We don't deny it because if we do, what, what, what does it mean? Well, verses 8 and 10, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We're, we're not tricking anybody but ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. We say, God, you're a liar because you say we do sin. And that his word has no place in our our lives. That's walking in darkness. That's the old life. Lying and calling God a liar. No, we don't deny it. Rather, we confess it. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? To cleanse us, to purify us from all unrighteousness. And and how does he do that? Verse 7 tells us that the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us, purifies us from all sin. So there is a blood of Jesus that purifies us for these remaining sins that are still in us as we're walking the Christian life and walking with God who is light and his light exposes my darkness. I don't have to hide it and cover it and excuse it and deny it. I I can, I can walk in the light and bring it to the light and say, God, you're right. That was, that was sin. What I just did, what I just said, what I just thought was sin. That was against you. I, I just put myself above you. I just said, I want my way instead of your way. I want my pleasure instead of your pleasure. We agree with God. That's at the very heart of this word, confess, to to agree with God about what we've done, our, our sin. But when we confess, we're also putting faith in the way that that sin can be forgiven, which is the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. And so we come confessing our sin and trusting in what Christ has done on the cross, shedding His blood to purify us so that we can be forgiven and can be cleansed from all unrighteousness. So we can walk with the God of Light because the blood of Jesus keeps cleansing us and I just keep confessing and I keep telling him what I am and I keep coming and looking to what Jesus blood does and I keep enjoying that cleansing that I can live with this God in whom there is no darkness none at all and why wouldn't we confess our sins believing on what he's done when believers have this advocate chapter 2 verse 2 this 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 one at God's right hand who pleads for us. He he speaks on our defense there, right there with this holy God of no darkness, no none at all. We have an advocate there. And who is he? Well, he's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's only one righteous. That's who's there for us, the sinless one, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he's there speaking to God, pleading with God. And what is he pleading? Not our innocence. Oh, she's really not that bad. What he did wasn't so bad. It's only the 10th time. No, he's not pleading our innocence. Well, then what's he pleading? He's not denying the the filth of our sin, the darkness of it. He's pleading the merits of his own blood. I died for that sin, Father. You poured out your wrath on me for that that sin, Father. So, So you be just and forgive him. And you be faithful and cleanse him from all righteousness un- unrighteousness. That's what he pleads. He pleads the merits of his own blood because the blood of Jesus does indeed purify us from every all sin. Well, in the Old Testament, the sinner brought the animal to the priest when he sinned and he brought the animal for slaughter and sacrifice. And and he would place his hands on the head of that animal And he would confess his sins over that animal. And it was picturing the transfer of his sin onto that substitute animal. And once he confessed his sins over the head of that animal, from that point on, the animal was treated as the sinner deserved. And his throat was slit, his blood was shed, and his life was taken. And from that moment on, the sinner was treated as the animal deserved, the innocent lamb. And he went free. And he lived. And all of that was pointing the Old Testament believers to the coming Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now we look back to that same Lamb. And so when we come and we confess our sins, it's like we're putting our hands upon the head of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the only Lamb that takes away sin. And we're transferring. That's faith, you see. When we confess our sins, we are, we are looking to Christ and we're saying, that's where my sin was punished. That's the one that stood in for me. In my place condemned He stood. I have no hope but Him. And God is just and is faithful and forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So as we're walking with God in light and made aware of our sins, by faith, we see our sin, our guilt, transferred to the righteous Jesus who became sin for us on the cross. And we see there our forgiveness. What we deserved was given to Him that we might live and be cleansed. So, do you see the preciousness of faith? Precious blood of Jesus that purifies from all sin, and precious faith that receives such a cleansing in Jesus' blood. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah said that a day was coming when a a fountain would be opened for cleansing sin and uncleanness. What kind of a fountain is that? A fountain to clean sin and uncleanness. Where might I find it better than the fountain of youth? Well, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and him as crucified, whose body was opened up With five bleeding wounds that plead for my cleansing. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, as vile as he, wash all my sins away. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus welcomes you. He has life for you. Trust in Him. Faith in Jesus will purify your heart. Faith in Him will unite you, the sinner, with Jesus the Savior. And make all that is His yours. So come and welcome to Jesus. Uh, We're going to sing from the overhead. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. What, what more could you want in a Savior than, the, than what is not found in, in Jesus Christ, in our Savior? Stand and sing. What a friend we have in Jesus for sinners. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, we can see why the Lord Jesus was your delight from all of eternity, that such a son should be yours. And we thank you for sending him. Lord, without faith... uh, He meant nothing to us. We saw no glory in Him that we should receive Him, that we should want Him. So thank you for this gift of faith, a faith that receives this wonderful Savior and everything in Him. Oh, teach me. Uh, Teach all of us to live more upon our Lord Jesus, to draw from Him all that is in Him for us, that we might be helped and He might be honored that we might love Him more and enjoy Him and enjoy having Him even as He enjoys having us. Oh, we stagger to say it. We stagger in believing it. Help our unbelief. And thank You then. Thank You for such a Savior. And we pray in His name. Even Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen.